0: This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. If you have your Bibles this morning, please turn to the New Testament book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to jump around a little bit this morning. Philippians chapter number 3. And as we begin today, I want to ask you a question. Now, this isn't one that you need to answer out loud. You can if you'd like to. Here's the question Have you ever looked at your life and said something like this? This is not what I thought. This is not what I thought my life would look like at this point 20 years later (laughs) after the Marine Corps. This is not what I thought I would be doing. This is not what I thought my relationship would be like right now or my financial situation or my work situation. Uh, This is not what I thought it was going to be like. Anyone ever experienced that? Those this is not what I thought moments? We look at our lives and maybe come to the conclusion something must have gone horribly wrong (laughs) to get me here might be something else, something you never anticipated. It's funny, when we're kids, we're naive. Whether you know it or not, if you're a kid, you're dumb. (laughs) Respect all the kids in the room today. It's good to be dumb. You believe that when you grow up, everything's going to be fine, it's all going to work out, and by God's grace, life can be amazing, but there are challenges that you never saw coming. You see, we believe when we're young that if we can get the job or graduate from the school or get the attention of that person that we're so interested in, that everything's going to be okay. And again, as amazing as those things may be, there are always challenges that we don't exactly know how to navigate. And yet I'm here to tell you this morning, and if I can only communicate one thing, it's this. There is hope. (laughs) There is hope. So much of life feels hopeless, and so much of what we experience is overwhelming, and we look outside the walls of our churches, and we look to the country that so many of us serve, and we can be overwhelmed with this feeling of desperation, but there is always hope. It doesn't matter what, where you've come from or what you've experienced today. Again, by the grace of God, there's hope for our marriages and hope for our relationships and hope for life. But we need to learn how to move forward. We're going to talk about that today. It seems like, at least in my life, there are those moments when I'm overwhelmed by what's happening. And if you've ever been overwhelmed, maybe you've shared what you're going through with a close friend. You ever shared what you're going through with a close friend? And maybe they're a church friend. Christian people are really bad about this. Now, this is one of my hits on Christian people, is that they're really bad about this. You share with them a burden, something that you're going through, and they say something like this, cheer up, it's going to be fine. Anyone ever said that to you? Cheer up, it's going to be fine. Or maybe you just need to trust God more. A lot of people say that, you just need to trust God more. Now, you guys are a pretty spiritual group here, I can tell, because you're wearing suits and ties and carrying Bibles and stuff. So you're a pretty spiritual group. So I won't answer for you, but when someone tells me that I need to cheer up, I need to just trust God more, when I'm in the depths of despair and I'm experiencing that hopelessness and I share with a friend what I'm going through and they say, cheer up, what I want to do is punch them in the mouth. That's what I want to do. (laughs) Oh, you want to cheer up? I'll give you some cheer right here. (laughs) Again, you guys aren't like me. A lot of you Navy, Air Force folks, you don't know about punching in the mouth, but trust me, it's a thing. So then you stop talking to your church friends and you do what you should do. You pick up the Bible and when you're going through those moments of hopelessness and despair, a good place to start is by reading word. But then you know what the Holy Spirit does? He takes you to passages like Philippians chapter three and verse number one. Because when you're feeling bad about yourself, you want someone to justify how you feel. Then you read these words. Finally, my brethren, rejoice. In the Lord. Who is this guy? (laughs) I've never even met him and I want to punch him in the mouth. Who wrote these words? I want someone to say, How I feel is okay, and the desperation in my soul is okay. I don't want someone in the Bible to tell me, Hey, you need to rejoice. You can continue reading, and we will jump over later to chapter 4 and verse 4. The Apostle Paul, who wrote these words, says again, Rejoice in the Lord always. Always. And in case you didn't get it the first couple of times, and again, I say, rejoice. And I'm cynical, so I look at this, and I think, this guy, he must not have ever been through anything. This guy, Paul, he must not have really experienced anything in his life. If you're familiar with the story of the Apostle Paul, he was a persecutor of Christians, had a miraculous conversion, began to pursue God and plant churches and train others, and for that he was rejected by his friends. He, he was stoned. He was shipwrecked multiple times. Eventually, he would lose his life. As he writes these words, he's sitting in a jail cell, and he says to us, rejoice in the Lord always. What I love about Paul and what I love about other people who have struggled but come through on the other side is that when someone has dealt with the struggle and dealt with the desperation and dealt with the hopelessness and they're able to say, hey, it gets better, hey, trust God, hey, there's hope, it means something our program at the Mighty Oaks Foundation, every instructor that we have, every team leader, every person that's involved in leadership started off as a student. They came to the program. Thousands of men and women have accepted Christ. We then put them through a discipleship program, a training program, and they come back and lead so they can stand up and say to others who have been through things that they've been through, I know where you are because I've been there. I've struggled the same way that you've struggled. I don't have it all figured out, but I've taken a few steps forward and I want to take you with me. In a sense, I think that's what Paul is doing for us here. He says, hey, I know it's hard. Hey, I know it's a struggle, but through it all, you need to make a decision to rejoice. He explains to us in verse number 18 why this is so important. We're all going to experience difficulties and troubles and trials. We don't get to control that. What we do get to decide or control is how we respond. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. Paul issues a warning in verse number 18, for many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Right in the middle of this incredible passage, he talks about those who once walked with everyone else, who came to church and did the things you were supposed to do, but it says they've fallen away. There's a lot there, but I believe that what Paul is communicating is that in the midst of trials and persecutions and difficulties, we get to decide, are we going to lean into God and trust Him and rejoice that He's God and we're not, even though we don't understand what's going on? Are we going to rejoice in the Lord always? Or are we going to turn around and walk away? It's a decision that we get to make. But I think the decision to move forward one step at a time for the glory of God is a decision we will never regret. I say often that living is not simply the physical act of drawing breath. So many people are drawing breath They're going to work, they're participating at least peripherally in their relationships. They're drawing breath, they're alive in a physical sense, but living is not simply the physical act of drawing breath. There are so many people who are physically alive, and yet spiritually and emotionally and relationally they're dead, and they know it. They become overwhelmed by the desperation and the despair and the hopelessness, and they're going through the motions, but on the inside they're dead. Life happens when we decide that despite history or present circumstances, we are going to move forward one deliberate, faith-filled step after another. That's the introduction. (laughs) There is hope. We need to decide to move forward. The question before us, though, is how? I want to give you a few thoughts today, and I'm going to do that by telling you a story I'll tell the story, and then I'll be done. It's a really long story, so don't get too excited. <laughs> I'll tell you a story from when I served in Iraq. Now, we all have our battles, and we all have the things that we've been through. This is unique to me, but for me, this illustrates so well what we're talking about, the principles for moving forward in spite of difficulty and challenge and trial. As Tavis said, I was deployed with 1st Battalion, 5th Marines to uh, Kuwait, in early 2003, and then eventually when the order was given to breach the berm and move into the southern part of Iraq, we followed orders, and uh, we did that, uh, I believe it was March 19th of 2003, Um, crazy, crazy experience, something that I had spent my life preparing for, and uh, was so thankful really to be a part of such a historic and important, what I believe was important moment. We breached the berm and went into Iraq and secured the southern objective and started to make our way toward Baghdad. And on the morning of April 10th, 2003, we were given a warning order. That was an order, a be prepared to. This is going to happen. General Mattis, who was the division commander, handed this down to 1st Battalion, 5th Marines. Our battalion commander called us to his vehicle and said, hey, here's what's going to happen. This was about 06. The sun was just coming up. He said, in a couple of hours, we're going to move to a very small bridge over a very small canal. It's called the Saddam Canal because it was 2003 and everything was a Saddam something. So we're going to move to the Saddam Canal. Now, this is a daytime movement. We didn't move during the day. Uh, The only time we moved during the day was that day. But we're going to move during the day because division intelligence officers have told us there are no enemy soldiers on this objective. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you are an intelligence officer But if you are, don't talk to me later. I still hold a grudge. I used to feel so bad about the intel that we got until I thought about the intel that the enemy soldiers must have gotten on us. Hey, don't worry about it. There are no Marines in the area, it's gonna be fine. But the division sent 1,200 Marines to a very small bridge over a very small canal that was supposed to be unguarded. And we started to make our way toward that canal. Because of what I did, I was the second vehicle back in our column. Our column extended back several miles. I was providing navigation for the battalion. And we started to come around a corner. And as we did, it was just a few miles from where we had started. The sun was high in the sky. And as we came around the corner, I could look off in the distance. And I could see the bridge over the canal. It was all raised. There was a berm there. The ground that we were driving on, we were driving on a a road, but around us, all of the ground was uh, like it had been plowed for planting, but hadn't been planted. You know, I'm talking about all the soil had been turned over. So it was soft, but there was nothing there. As we came into that straightaway, immediately it became clear that there was indeed an enemy at that objective when the mortar rounds started to fall around our vehicles. (laughs) Now, thankfully, the mortar rounds went into that soft dirt and exploded. The shrapnel was contained there but the smoke and the percussion, the smell, all of it, something you'll never forget. And the first thought I had, because you have dumb thoughts when people are trying to kill you, those guys back there said it wasn't going to be like this. <laughs> that was the thought I had. This is a kind of a side lesson, but you have to learn in life that you make decisions with the best information that you have in the moment. How many people regret so much of their life even though they made the best decisions they could in the moment with the information that they had. We found ourselves in this spot. We moved with the best information that we had, and here we were in a fight we did not expect. Listen to me. If you're going to move forward in your life, you need to understand, first of all, that the biggest fights come when we least expect them. The biggest fights come when we least expect them. Rarely do we make decisions that we know will hurt us. In our lives, we make uh, the decisions that we need to make at the moment with the information that we have, and yet often these fights come to us. The most difficult fights in our lives are the ones that we didn't even think were a possibility. Have you ever had one of those? How did I get here in my relationship? How did I get here in my finances? Uh, How did I get here in this situation with my kids? How did I get here? I didn't even think this was a possibility. Those are the biggest fights you'll ever find yourself in in life. The ones you didn't think were a possibility. The psalmist said it this way in Psalm 41 in verse 9. Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, Hath lifted up his heel against me. He said, This was a guy I ate with, I spent time with, this was a friend I trusted, and he's the one that lifted up his heel against me. It's those fights that you didn't see coming. The Apostle Paul, who wrote the words for us in Philippians under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was not a perfect man. He had uh, things that he did wrong, of course, and he came from a, a very difficult background, but God used him tremendously. And when God began to use him, he was sold out. If anyone could have said, God, I'm doing everything I can for you and your glory. I'm starting churches. I'm dealing with all of these, these people who hate me. I'm training pastors and missionaries. I'm doing all of this stuff. God, please pave the road. If anyone could have claimed that, it was the Apostle Paul in verse 8 of chapter 3 of Philippians. He said this instead. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. He had the right perspective. He said, I've lost everything, but it's all for the glory of God. But I wonder how many times the Apostle Paul looked around and said, this is not what I expected When I began pursuing Jesus Christ, when he came to me on the road and and I surrendered my life to him and began doing what he wanted me to do, this is not what I thought it would look like. And yet in the midst of that, he said, I may have lost everything, but I've lost it for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's not about me. When you find yourself in a fight you did not expect, you need to understand it's not about you. And yet some people are so overwhelmed by the unexpected that instead of living, instead of continuing to move forward, they become the lifelong victims of a one-time event. Please listen to me. There are so many people in life that hit that, I didn't expect this moment, And they're not able to understand that God has a plan in all of it. And in the midst of it, they become so overwhelmed by that one-time event that that defines the rest of their lives. If we're going to move forward, we need to know that the biggest fights in our lives come when we least expect them. But we need to also understand that even though we may not pick the fight, we get to decide how we will fight. This is so important. Even though we may not pick the fight, we didn't expect to be there that day in a fight. And as we got closer to that berm, we realized that the mortars weren't the only problem. There was a machine gun position in that hill, that berm facing back at us. Uh, We were in a bad situation that we didn't expect. We didn't get to decide to put ourselves there. We didn't get to make the decision whether or not we would fight that day. There we were. What we got to decide was how we would fight. Understand that no one can take away from you the decision to do the right thing, to fight with integrity, to stand up and push back. No one can take that away from you. We become victims when we look at our circumstance and say, well, this is here, where I am, there's nothing I can do about it. You may not have put yourself there, but you get to decide how you will fight. The psalmist said in Psalm 90 and verse 12, so teach us to number our days. Why? That we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. God, help us to see things how they are. Help us to understand things so we can move forward with wisdom. You need to settle what you are going to do before the enemy presents himself. That day when we hit that enemy position, that was not the day we decided that we were going to fight. I had the privilege of being with that platoon for two years. That's a long time. And in those two years, we trained all over the place. (laughs) And again and again and again and again, we decided what we would do if we ever found ourselves in a situation similar to the one we just so happened to find ourselves in. The time to decide is before you find the fight or before the fight finds you. The time to decide how you're going to fight is before it comes, but no one can take that decision away from you. What did Paul say in verse number 10 of chapter three? He said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Look look at that. Paul had already decided I know why I'm here. I want to know God. I want to experience the power of his resurrection, enter into the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. Verse number 12 of chapter 4, he said this, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Paul was committed to trusting God. The fights come when you least expect them. You may not get to decide what the fight is, But you always get to decide how you will fight. And listen to me, the time to decide is now. We hit that berm. We dealt with that machine gun position. Thankfully, the Marines did what Marines do. um, Executed what we had trained so many times. But the mortar rounds kept falling, and this was a bad situation for us. I couldn't get to them. They were on the other side of the bridge, the other side of the berm, and so we had to adjust. Now, here's the second lesson you need to get a hold of if you're going to move forward, if you're going to find hope in hopelessness. Understand this. Number two, change is inevitable. (laughs) Don't be surprised when it happens. Now, never change who you are. Don't change your character. Don't change your system of beliefs. But sometimes we get wrapped up in these situations of life and we dig our heels in and we say, This is where I am. Things can change around me. I'm not adjusting. My family situation has adjusted. I'm not adjusting with that family situation. My work situation has adjusted. I'm upset about it. I'm not changing. This thing has changed and that thing has changed. And my world is changing, but I'm not willing to adjust. I wonder if maybe God wants us to adjust. If God's opening a door that he wants us to walk through, something he wants us to accomplish in our lives, but we get so hung up and so focused on where we are, we are unwilling to change. Change is inevitable. Don't be surprised when it happens. Unfortunately, you've heard this, the enemy gets a say in how the battle unfolds. And if we're not willing to adjust, we're going to struggle. (laughs) Success in any area of life is directly connected to how well we handle unexpected change. Success in any area of life is directly connected to how well we handle unexpected change. went to Iraq in 2003, came home. Um, I was raised in a pastor's home. My dad and mom started a church in Southern California. So I was raised in that environment. And uh, I always have to like qualify this. Um, I wasn't mad at God or running from God or anything, but I, (laughs) I joke, and it is a joke kind of, but I joke that the one thing you learn growing up in a pastor's home you don't want to be a pastor. That's the one thing you learn growing up a pastor sometimes. And uh, it's funny, God has brought me into the ministry, and I've pastored for a long time. But um, at that time, I was 14 years old. I talked to my dad, and I said, Dad, would it be okay if I didn't go into the ministry? And he said what a pastor dad should say. He said, son, I want you to do whatever God wants you to do. Whatever that is, I want you to do that. I said, Dad, I really believe that God wants me to enlist in the Marine Corps. He said, there is no way God wants you to enlist in the Marine Corps. <laughs> not, even, not even a possibility. Think about the Air Force. There are some other options, but not the Marine Corps. And so he said, all right, if you really believe that's what God wants you to do, um, there are some things I want you to do, and we're going to get there and get through that. We'll help you. And uh, that, that was a big part of the journey for me. But from 14 years old, I had pointed my life toward service in the military and the Marine Corps, went to college, and all of that was about getting commissioned so that I could serve in the Marine Corps and serve Marines. Uh, went to Iraq. For those that haven't served in a combat environment, it, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but for me, at least as an infantry Marine, that was kind of like the fulfillment of everything I'd pointed my life toward. And leading Marines in combat, that was the pinnacle for me. <laughs> Then I came home, and really, God got a hold of my heart, my wife's heart. Um, I was probably what I would consider a nominal Christian during a lot of that time in the Marine Corps, and God got a hold of my heart through an incredible local church. That's why it's so important to be in a good local church. Um, I knew it was important for my wife and, and newborn, but God got a hold of my heart there, and uh, man, called the ministry, and I was excited about it, left the Marine Corps, A month after we came back from Iraq, so I had been leading Marines in combat, came home. A month later, I was out of the Marine Corps working on a church staff. And you'd think that would be a really soft place to land. (laughs) It was horrible for me and everyone around me. (laughs) I became really frustrated. I was leading Marines in combat one minute and then trying to get volunteers to do what they signed up to do the next minute. So kind of like a little PSA, if you're a volunteer, do what you're supposed to do. good night. (laughs) I didn't understand this whole, like, you can't just tell people what to do thing, so it took me a while to figure that out. And then for a while, I thought that the infantry world, where you just yell at your coworkers to get what you want, I thought that's how it also worked on the church staff. (laughs) Got thrown out of some staff meetings. (laughs) I got so frustrated and so angry. I was taking it out on my wife. I was taking it out on my kids. It's only by God's grace that my wife stayed with me during that time. It's funny. (laughs) I was was counseling couples. (laughs) Meanwhile, I was a complete train wreck at home. So you can know what to do and just not do it, I guess. I was a disaster. To the point that my pastor, who I know loved me, called me into his office and said, Hey, man, this is just not working you're so disruptive, you're causing so many problems that you either need to figure out what's going on or you need to find a new place to work. I was confronted in all of that and, um, man, <laughs> it's amazing what God does and I won't tell the whole story, but God brought all that around and used it in my life in an incredible way. But things had changed. What I wanted to do, what I thought I understood, what I was all about, that had changed. I went from doing what I thought I was supposed to do in the military to now being in a completely different environment, and I didn't know how to adjust. And because I didn't adjust, I was getting crushed, and I was crushing other people around me. In the battles of life, things change. And if we're unwilling to adjust when they do, we will be unable to move forward. What about in your relationships? Relationships change, they grow. Our children, uh, they come and they go. I have a 24 year old daughter. She's moving into her own place this week. Praise God. (laughs) But also, it's kind of sad a little bit. A 22 year old son, he's a police officer, married. I mean, things are changing all the time. How do you adjust to those changes? The psalmist said in Psalm 27, verse 11, teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path. Why? Because of mine enemies. There's some people that want to pick you off, but we need to pray the prayer, O Lord, teach me your way and lead me in a plain path. Before the battle, we make decisions based on the best information that we have. And in the battle, we adjust to what is happening around us Always moving forward, never going back. The third lesson is this one, number three. When you are stuck, you only have two options. When you're stuck, you only have two options. We adjusted because we needed to. Those mortar rounds kept falling. Our job was to stay on kind of the near side of the berm, not to go up on top of the bridge. We were supposed to get close, set up security, other units would pass through, but those. Mortar rounds kept falling, and, and that was just not going to work. <laughs> so I made the decision to put eight machine gun vehicles on top of the bridge. We needed to adjust. That was the wrong place to adjust to. The road was a pre planned target. Those mortar rounds were falling, but when we got on top of that bridge, it got really, really bad. We got on top of the bridge and had the vehicles set up. I was standing on the outside of the vehicle at one point screaming into my handset to get some help from the back of our column, but everyone was spread out, super chaotic environment as you can imagine, and those mortar rounds just kept falling. Again, into that soft dirt, which was helpful, Uh, but I remember them falling around my feet and the percussion from the bottom of my feet through the top of my head, something you will never forget, and if you've experienced that, you know what I'm talking about. Shakes you from the inside out. I, I can even as I'm talking, I can think about the taste of that and the smell of that. Uh, it's, it's again, only by God's grace, it is miraculous that I didn't lose my entire uh, platoon there. We should have. The mortar rounds were falling. I'm trying to get help. We're bunched up on top of this bridge, and on the other side of the bridge, there is a ZSU-23-4. That's a four-barreled anti-aircraft gun, old Soviet era, and there were two guys there doing the hand cranks. They were elevated to keep helicopters from coming over the bridge. But when we got on top of the bridge, we became the threat. So not only were the mortar rounds falling, but that anti-aircraft gun was spinning our direction. Things went from bad to really bad. Now, I want you to think in your mind, have you ever had a moment like that in your life? Maybe you're living that moment right now. Maybe you can think back to one, maybe you see one on the horizon, but as you stand and do the things that you do, you feel like those bombs are exploding around you, that's going to get worse when the machine gun comes your direction, and in those moments, you have to ask yourself, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? It's then that we go through the, the list of decisions that we can make, the list of things that are a possibility. We, we think we could do this or that or maybe this other thing. There may be some nuance, but understand that when the, the mortar rounds are falling around you, when your world is blowing up, when that machine gun is coming your direction, when things have gone from bad to worse, there really only are two choices that you can make. <laughs> you can decide to stay where you are and die. And again, that's a decision that we make. We can stay where we are and die. So many make that decision. In our community, in the veteran community, we're told that upwards of 22 veterans every single day decide to take their lives. I mean, that number is overwhelming. There's a lot of research, a recent study even, that would put that number much higher. We don't know what the number is, but it's way too high. Four plus active duty service members every day taking their lives. I mean, that's a real decision in the midst of a fight to, to stay where you are and die. But there are so many other people who would never end their physical life, but they've just decided they're going to give up. I am where I am. It doesn't get better than this. I I could never move forward. I'm so overwhelmed by the battle. This is where I am. You can make the decision to stay where you are and die if you want to, but you don't have to. There's a better decision. When I checked in as a second lieutenant to 1st Battalion, 5th Marines, I was in Charlie Company, had a a rifle platoon. It was awesome. Uh, Every unit in the Marine Corps has a motto. Every single one, it doesn't matter what you do in the Marine Corps, there's a motto, right? And there's a t-shirt and there's probably a skull involved. That's like, that's the Marine Corps. (laughs) The motto of Charlie Company, uh, 1-5, real simple, real like kind kind of marine proof, march or die. March or die, that's where that podcast title comes from, march or die. I mean, it doesn't get more marine proof than that, right? In the middle of that fight, when the mortar rounds were falling around us, I only had to make one of two decisions. We could have stayed there and died. Or we could make the better decision and put one foot in front of the other and march. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. Here's how he ended this. So run that you may obtain run that you may obtain Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13 you know these verses I come back to these again and again and again Paul said brethren I count not myself to have apprehended I haven't gotten there yet I haven't gotten a hold of it yet but this one thing I do this preacher said there's one thing I do then he gives us like four things that's how you know he's a preacher There's one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He said, Hey, there's one thing I do. I'm going to forget what's behind. How many of you are so tied to what's behind that you can't move forward? How many of you are so chained by your past and, and you've come to look at that as your identity that God can't carry you forward because you won't let go of this thing back here? The Apostle Paul had a lot to regret. He murdered Christians, he persecuted those who were of the way, believers, followers of Jesus. He did a lot of crazy, crazy stuff. And then I'm sure when he came into his ministry life, he had some regrets. And yet he said, I'm going to forget those things which are behind, I'm going to reach forward. For the glory of God. Wherever you are in your life, you have to make a decision. Are you going to stay where you are and die? Or will you march? Apostle Paul understood in all of this that he was not alone. See, this isn't really about you. We like to make the word of God and Christianity about us. We say, well, I need to do this for me, or I need to do this in obedience to God, and that's right. Verse 17 of chapter 3, the apostle Paul said, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. Chapter 4 and verse 9, he said, Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. And the God of peace shall be with you. This is so humbling to me. It works through this whole thing. (laughs) He said, hey, you need to rejoice in the Lord. If you don't, you're going to end up in a place you never thought possible. There's going to be some fights. You need to engage in those fights. I have, he says, forgotten those things which are behind, and I'm reaching forth unto those things which are before. I'm doing everything that I possibly can. And then he comes to this place where he brings it all around, and he says, hey, use me for an example, And follow the example that I've set. Because what Paul communicates to all of us is that making the decision to march when it would be easier to stay where we are and die, it's not really about us. We all have people in our lives that are looking to us for leadership and direction. You have people in your lives that you don't even know about who are struggling are in that should I march or should I die point of life and they're looking to you for an example and they're gonna take their cue off of you and that's a heavy burden to bear but praise God, he gives us his word and he gives us the direction from his word and he allows us to have a church like this where we can come into community and hear the word of God preached and be encouraged and instructed. We have the tools that we need but we have to make that decision to continue forward because when we make the decision to march, there are others who will be emboldened to make the same decision. Paul said, be followers together of me. <laughs> Victory comes to the persistent, not to the perfect. It's the one who says every day, I'm gonna get up, and I'm gonna put one foot in front of the other, and I'm going to keep moving forward. Um, Tavis mentioned I I did this 22 marathon challenge and uh, (laughs) I've been asked a lot over the last couple of weeks, how do you do do that? And I'm not a smart guy. (laughs) There's only one way I know how to do it. It's like you get up every morning and you just do the next one. And, And it's longer and it's harder than that and you have a lot of doubts, but that's life. Life is saying God's called me to this. He's God and I'm not. I'm going to trust him. I'm not going to rely on my circumstance to dictate my outcomes. I'm going to put one foot in front of the other and keep moving forward. We've all been through things. We've all experienced things. We're all struggling right now to some extent, I would imagine. But by God's grace, one step after another, We can continue moving forward. That fight ended, um, I've told that story before and haven't concluded it. I had this lady come up to me after a service one time, and she was kind of upset I didn't finish the story. She's like, well, how did it end? (laughs) I just preached, so we won. (laughs) I mean, I don't know what you want to tell you, but (laughs) I don't carry pictures or anything, but... We won, and we got off the X, and we moved uh, out of there, made the decision to march. That whole thing ended. um, I I think about that probably every day. The the first time I was ever confronted with the sovereignty of God was that day, April 1st, 2003, on top of that bridge (laughs) after a crazy firefight. I was overwhelmed with the reality that God is God, and I'm not God. I was overwhelmed with the reality that I can control the things that I can control, but ultimately the enemy doesn't care who I am, where I came from, what I look like, what school I went to, doesn't care. We care about that stuff. Enemy doesn't care. The enemy just wants to destroy us. But God is sovereign, and God is bigger, And God has a plan. And God will do what God will do if we'll allow him to do the work. That's how in the midst of the fight, in the midst of the overwhelming uh, hopelessness that we so often find ourselves in, we can say as Paul did in the peace of God, chapter 4 and verse 7, which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Please grab this. Grab it. Paul was a guy who understood the fight. Paul was a guy who understood hopelessness and overwhelm and despair. Paul was a guy who understood what would be coming and who he was speaking to. And he said, in the midst of it all, rejoice in the Lord. Trust God. And let his peace reign In your hearts, we have got to get out of this mindset that says my circumstance dictates how I feel and whether or not I experience peace. I think so often God brings us through the fight and says, hey, I'm God, you're not. Trust me and you can indeed experience that peace that passes all understanding. That moment was so important to me. And again, it's a moment I go back to again and again. I forget it sometimes, but I have to come back to who God is and who I'm not. I placed my faith in Christ when I was a a child. My dad was a pastor. I remember sitting in a a Sunday school class. I I was very young, four or five years old, sitting in a Sunday school class. I remember a Sunday school teacher saying, uh, raise your hand if you don't know that you're going to heaven, (laughs) I'm like, I've always been very honest so and I don't know that Sunday school teacher was very well trained to help kids because she said, okay, well when you get home talk to your dad about that so, <laughs> so I did. And my dad helped me understand how, how to have a relationship with God. And see when we talk about all of this, We know we're going to experience the battles. We know we're going to have those moments of hopelessness and despair, uh, the, the traumas of life. We're all going to encounter that. You can't get away from that. That's life. But if we want to say, as Paul did, I can rejoice in the Lord. I can forget those things which are behind. I can pursue those things which are before. I find meaning and hope, whether I have a lot or a little. It doesn't matter. I have that peace that passes understanding. The only way to get there is by knowing that you have that relationship with an almighty God who's bigger than it all and loved you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, from heaven to earth to live a perfect sinless life, to give us an example of how we should live, to die in our place on the cross, to pay the price for our sin, to give us that eternal hope. I'd settled that, but I didn't understand how it all worked. And when I stood there that day on the bridge, I had peace because I knew that my hope and my future was in God. Listen, if you're here today, maybe you're a guest, maybe you're here every week. I know that you've been through some things. I know that you've struggled. I know that you've experience trials and traumas and difficulties. I mean, the the very fact of being born is traumatic, right? I mean, that's life. You don't get away from that. But if you want to have hope and purpose and direction, you don't want to be defined by your circumstance, the starting point is establishing that relationship with God through Christ. Check this out. This is crazy. There's nothing you can do to earn that. (laughs) You can't deserve it. You can't work hard enough to get there. God created us, perfect and sinless. We rebelled against him. The sin of our common father, Adam, was passed on all the way to you and to me. You don't believe me? Look at the smallest kid in the nursery. Sinner. (laughs) They just stole something from somebody. That's who we are. It's our nature. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What a truth. You don't have to walk this thing alone. You don't have to struggle through this thing every day. You don't have to deal with this and say there's no hope for me or uh, that's not true, or whatever it is you're hung up on. God loved you so much, he did what only he could do. He provided a savior. You say, well, my thing's too big, uh, my sin's too deep. If I can say this kindly, get over yourself. (laughs) You're not as unique as you think you are. You're sinful and broken just like the rest of us. And God didn't ask your permission to love you. (laughs) He chose to. You say, how do you know that? Well, I'm told that God commendeth, he demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. (laughs) What a truth. If you're here today and you've never accepted the gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins that comes from a relationship through Jesus Christ, I would invite you, make today that day. I love our country. I love those who have served. I'm thankful to be counted among them. But the most important thing (laughs) that will happen today, if you've not put your faith in Jesus Christ, is coming to the place where you realize you're a sinner, you acknowledge who you are before God and understand that he loved you enough to make that forgiveness of sin possible and you accept that gift of salvation. That's more important than anything else. What about you today? Jeremy, the, the, life's coming at me so fast. I feel like it's all blowing up around me. There's mortar rounds are falling, machine guns spin in my direction. Things are out of control. You have to make a decision. You're going to kick it into neutral, wave the white flag, give up, choose to die or are you going to march? The decision, my friend, is entirely yours. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time, for the opportunity to be in this place. Thank you for all that's happened this morning. Father, we do thank you for our country. I thank you for all of those who have served and continue to serve. It's a very difficult time to serve our nation yet I thank you for men and women who love you and are willing to stand in the gap for us. God, I pray above all that you would, God, help us to understand that we don't move forward by our own might, by our own strength, but in your power. That our circumstance should not dictate our identity, who we are, or our future, that we can experience peace that passes passes all understanding because you are God. For the person who is here this morning that's never accepted you as their savior, God, I pray that today would be the day. Speak to hearts. Holy Spirit of God, convict us today. Encourage those that need to be encouraged. Thank you for who you are in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God, or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org, or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.